0: This Jim Moore Jr and NFL Rookie of the Year Prop Bets Edition of the Sports Gambling Podcast is presented by mybookie.ag. The UFC is back, international soccer is back, golf is back, plus they got tons of sports sims to bet on. Use the promo code SGP for up to $1000 in bonus bets. That's mybookie.ag, promo code SGP to play win and get paid. We're also brought to you by Ace per head. Ace is the leader in pay per head providers and they make it super easy to start your own sports book. Plus, Ace is offering up to six weeks free over at aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP. Finally, we're brought to you by Cushy Dreams. Cushy Dreams is a new company with a full lineup of premium smokable CBD, now shipping legally to all 50 states. And if you use the promo code SGP, you get 15% off. That's K U S H Y Dreams.com. Promo code SGP. You're listening to the Sports Gambling Podcast, exclusively on SGPN. Let it ride. Shine Ooh, welcome everyone to the sports gambling podcast. I'm Sean, stacking that money green with my partner in picks, Ryan. Real money Kramer. What's happening, Crame Dog?
1: Hey, Sean, how's it
0: hanging? Uh it's hanging great. And uh, you know, third guy in the booth, always hanging with us, Kobe Dan, aka the Danta Bass. Feels like he's he's here a lot lately. I mean, why, why this corn we're supposed to be quarantined, right? We are. We're quarantined here in the SGP we, studio cranking out tons of content. We haven't left in months. We just <laughs> wrapped up uh, Madden mayhem. And uh, of course our Madden simulation tournament, that was awesome. And uh, thanks to everyone who, who watched it and submitted a bracket. Of course, If you're one of the bracket winners, either the 32 team bracket or the 16 team bracket. Make sure you go to podcast.com slash Madden. Fill out your little uh, claim sheet to get your prize, and then uh, you'll be hooked up with the MyBookie.ag credits.
1: Yeah, and for those who have already submitted, a, if you're listening to this and already submitted a claim by like Wednesday, the 27th morning, uh, we've already sent that over to the, the first batch are heading over to MyBookie tonight, May 26th. So you might already have your free credit. You might already have it. You might not. If not, fill out that claim. I feel like an insurance company. We got Flo on the desk. Flo managing from Progressive the claims.
0: handling all the claims. And uh yeah, what's good? We got Jim Moore Jr. on, uh, mm. a legendary coach. Fun interview, hit on a bunch of stuff, talking about Michael Vick. Yeah. And a couple other surprises. Talk some college football. Great uh, analyst for ESPN. The Good inception dude. I guy, pulled yeah. on
1: this podcast to just just get this this Virginia Tech vein pumping.
2: He did beat Virginia Tech in the bowl game. In the yes, Sun he bowl. did.
1: Yes, he did.
0: Mm. And and of course, these uh,
1: are the dark years, sir.
0: Kramer <laughs> did a uh, manage a crowbar. I mentioned of him getting. Uh, up to number two in uh, the nation <laughs> well, in playing I, Madden football. I had to throw it there. Like, so like, I'm going like to pull Coach back Madden's. the curtain. So Sean and
1: Colby, I'll be honest. Generally, do most of my prep for these interviews plus Wikipedia Those are my general sources. <laughs> but for this one, I knew that I was going to go right to the Met ma- thanking him for the Madden. Well, because I, a, I like to talk about the fact that I was number two in the country.
2: Were you hoping he was maybe well, going to hire you on his next staff,
1: listen to the interview, yeah. but Jesus Colby. Yeah, he's yes. one of those no, no. guys I'm penetration. He's already texting me wanting to know what, what plays I like what to run. What kind of playbook
0: did you run? He did text me that he, th- he thinks you're a SIM God.
1: Mm. Mm. Hashtag. <laughs>
0: There's plenty of SIM God action over at my the presenting sponsor of the sports gambling podcast. It's a SIM bonanza over there. The Madden Sims keep on going NBA Sims. And of course, real sports are happening. UFC, the NHL just announced a 24 team playoff and uh, I am I'm, I'm all about it. I'm getting back into the NHL just for this. It's going to be awesome. And of course, NBA should be making an announcement any day now about their playoffs. Sports are coming back in a big way. Head over to mybookie.ag. Use the promo code SGP. And after the Jim Mora Jr. interview, you're going to want to stay tuned because we break down our uh, give out some picks for NFL Rookie of the Year, both offensive and defensive. And we get those odds right from the odds gods themselves, mybookie.ag. Use that promo code SGP to play, win, and most importantly, get paid. Joining us on the line, legendary football coach and ESPN analyst Jim Moore. Jim, how's it going?
3: It is going very well. How are you guys doing?
0: Doing great.
1: Surviving the the isolation, you know?
3: (laughs) Well, sounds like it's almost over
0: yeah that's that's great news and and it does look like uh sports are coming back and hopefully in a big way uh coming up this fall I know we're 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 chomping at the bit to watch sports and and get back into it get back into football. Are you using this time Are you catching up on any uh game film what have you been watching lately?
3: well, you know what I'd probably like everybody else just searching for you know, entertainment watched a lot of, uh, you know, the ESPN classics. Uh, they've done a really nice job. I think of providing content for people and you kind of go back in history, loved watching the last dance with my four kids and introducing them to Michael Jordan, which further fueled the debate of, you know, the greatest of all time because they'd never watched him. Uh, my 17, 17 year old actually goes, you know what, Dan, I think he's the best ever. So (laughs) that was kind of fun. And then, uh, You know, just staying in touch with friends that are in the business and and seeing what they're doing. It was fun to kind of track the draft from a different perspective this year. You know, I've I've been at the draft for the last several years as a coach or as an analyst. And uh, to sit at home and kind of go into the living rooms of all these players as well as the decision makers at the NFL teams was, I thought, a lot of fun. So I've been busy.
2: Now, coach, we just had uh June Jones on and he, he was very reluctant. He thinks the NFL will happen, but he was reluctant to think that uh, high school and college are going to happen this fall. How do you, how do you feel about that?
3: Well, I think the NFL will go forward. Uh, I think they will definitely play games. I'm not sure what uh, they will do with regard to fans in the stands. Um, I'm sure there will be some fans in the stands to begin with and more as we go along, as, as long as um, we're turning downward with regards to this pandemic. Um, but they, they can do that. You know, um, these are professional players. They're men, they're adults. It's a business college is a little bit different. You know, there are rules in place and, you know, we know that students need to be on campus before athletes can be on campus practicing or, or participating in games, that is. So I, I'm probably a little bit more reluctant to say that college will go on, but I believe in my heart that they will find a way uh, to make a season happen. It may not be the season that we are used to seeing traditionally with regards to the number of games and the bowls and things like that, but uh, I do believe that there'll be a college football season. And then I think high school is probably where you'll see the biggest change. You know, I have heard at least in my area here in California, that there's talk that they'll push the football season to the spring, which I think is, is difficult. Uh, I think it, it hampers some people. I think that there'll be some kids that are early admits to college. that will, you know, flat out miss their senior season. Uh, I think it'll hamper recruiting to a certain extent, but I think the most important thing is that we follow you know the guidelines put in place by the experts. And Along with doing that, that we hopefully can provide these youngsters a chance to participate, and their parents a chance to watch them, and fans a chance to cheer again. I think we we need sports. Couldn't
0: agree more. And uh, as far as yourself uh, getting back into it, your last uh, tenure there was UCLA. Currently, college, uh, your record forty six and thirty in college. Do you have any plans to try and get back in the mix, coaching college, or maybe back in the pros? Where where are you at, kind of with that?
3: Well, I'll tell you this. I've enjoyed uh, the last couple of years at ESPN and they provided me a tremendous opportunity to, you know, stay close to the game, talk about the game, study the game. I had a, a lot of time to watch film. I, you know, I sit there every Saturday and watch, you know, games from noon till midnight on the East coast. And there's you know, 12, 12 monitors in front of me. So I'm <laughs> seeing a lot of football
0: <laughs> sounds uh, like our garage, but I,
3: Yeah. It's not a bad deal. Really. It's, you know, it's a man cave and every 10 minutes or every hour for 10 minutes, you got to talk a little football. So it's kind of a dream job, but I love to coach and I love to coach college. And, and, uh, you know, I'd relish the opportunity to go back and run a program. I think I've had success and, you know, uh, at every level I've been at and, you know, obviously failures, which you learn from, I think I've learned a lot and I'm ready to go again. Uh, but it has to be the right opportunity. And, uh, I, I hope that That does come along. I sincerely do, and if it doesn't, then I'll pour my heart. Continue to pour my heart into the broadcast end of it.
1: Well, real quick, Sean, I just I heard you talk about the right opportunity, coach, and I want to take you in the time machine real quick. Was there an opportunity that you've already had in your career that you look back on and you say, "Wow, that that was that was the right mix of things," and we were really close, but there was just that one thing missing.
3: Yeah, I had. I've had a couple, um, opportunities that I've passed up, um, that in, in retrospect, uh, I've said to myself many times, why didn't I take that job? But then I, I give it more thought and, um, I can come up with the reasons I didn't take a job. You know, when I was at UCLA, I was offered, um, more than one college job and more than one NFL job as a head coach. Uh, but, You know, I had, I had an obligation I felt to not only the school UCLA, but to the young men that I had recruited and their families who I had told I'd be at UCLA. And I didn't feel like I could, you know, on one hand, stand in front of a team and talk about being selfless and talk about sacrifice and commitment and playing for each other. And, uh, and then talk to them about the other life lessons that I tried to instill it with them, you know, as their coach and then walk in one day and say, guess what? Uh, I have this opportunity to go to this school. They're going to pay me more money. I think it's a better opportunity for me. Uh, Hey, see you later. So I felt like I'd be letting them down, their families down. I think then the next time a man, you know, in a position of coach stood in front of them and said, okay, these are the things we need to do as a team. These are the type of teammate types of teammates you need to be to each other. You don't want to be self-serving you know, you got to have commitment that they go, yeah, yeah, we've heard this BS before. And it was that more of that. <laughs> and he just left us. So as I look back there, there is some regret that I didn't make some of these moves because I think they could have um, enhanced my career. But I also think that I made the right decision to stay, you know, because I felt like I owed that to the players, to their families and, and to my family as well.
2: I completely agree. And I think too many times you saw it not to to throw Mel Tucker under the bus, but in in somewhat of the way here, Mel Tucker is a guy who, you know, reiterated or first, you know, when Michigan state was going to hire him from Colorado or they, they, they were trying to hire him. He said, no, I'm, I'm staying here in Boulder. And then on, you know, on Twitter, somehow he posted uh, or or university of Colorado posted him on phone calls telling the kids, Hey, you know, you sign here, I'm committed to you. And then sure enough, he leaves. And it was just a really ugly scene. I thought for college football and for, for Colorado specifically in Michigan state, I guess. But uh, I, I agree that there's a middle ground there that you have to find, but that one really left a bad taste in my mouth.
0: Is there anything you think that can be done? Like either uh regulation sort of guidelines, anything, because really these, these coaches contracts appear to just accountability. Yeah. There's just nothing Rough. really actually holding them. Should maybe coaches be subject to the same? You know, kind of transfer portal that they make players go through? Is that a possible solution?
3: <laughs> I, I don't think that would work. I think that, <laughs> you know, the buyouts that that colleges are putting in contracts so that it makes it harder for a team to hire a coach. Although, if a team, a school has enough money to go ahead and buy a guy out, I think it's really complicated because. Uh, I don't know that we share a Hoover man for, you know, pursuing his dreams, but I also feel like when you make a commitment to kids and their families, you need to honor it. It's life lessons that you're teaching them, And that's one of the things that you do as a college football coach. I think everybody has different motivations for why they coach. You know, I think some of them, you know, I think for Mel, he had his reasons for wanting to go to Michigan state. And, you know, I think people will go, yeah, he was getting paid a lot more money, but I think there's (laughs) probably something deeper than that. I really do. I think there is something deeper than that. Uh, You know, and, and I don't begrudge him taking that job for me personally, what was more important than anything was being somewhere where I felt valued and I felt like I was adding value and then staying there, you know, and, you make enough money when you're a college football coach. And if you were given an opportunity uh, and put in a position and supported so that you could succeed as a head coach, then you have no reason necessarily, in my opinion, to lead. Now, if the school's not supporting you, if you're not being provided some of the resources that you need to win at the highest level, or, you know, people aren't being truthful for you or there are other circumstances that arise. And I think, you know, I guess you have to have a, a little bit of selfishness, but it's a really, it's a tough call because these kids are, you know, held to such a, a high standard and, uh, and then a coach just bails. You know, I, I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. Other than if a coach leaves, the kids can all leave, but that's not always easy. You know, there's only a certain percentage of the kids that are wanted elsewhere. They all can't just leave. So yeah. uh, it's a hard deal. You know, it's a it's a really, it's a complicated situation.
0: Well, between the pros and the NFL, you've really coached a, a number of a dynamic players. I, I know me and my uh, co-host here, Ryan, were both uh, big fans of Michael Vick. What was it like watching Vick in person and and just seeing that kind of athleticism?
3: Yeah, you're right. I've been fortunate, so I have in my in my NFL career, I've been affiliated or coached uh, or worked with, I believe either 28 or 30 members of the pro football hall of fame. So I've seen a lot of great ones. Um, I would say that Michael is in the top five athletes that I've ever coached or seen play in any yeah. sport. I mean, he was that, he was that dynamic and I'm not going to say he's the very best because uh, I don't think I could pick a very best. I think it'd be unfair to, to the others that, uh, that I coach or I've watched to pick a very best, but he was certainly in i in the top five. and there wasn't a day that went by, whether it would be practice or a game, where you just wouldn't go, oh my God, did he just do that? What? I can't believe he just did that. You know, he had incredible arm strength with a flick of the wrist. He could just feel, throw a beautiful ball. He had that, you know, explosiveness and speed. Um, he was tough as nails. Uh, he, he was fun to be around. He enjoyed the game. Uh, you know, he went through some terrible times and he, you know, he made some horrible decisions. Um, and he, and he paid for him. And I believe that he's come out a much, much, much better person, much better man than, you know, than he went into this whole thing with. And so I applaud him for that. And I know there's people out there that still, you know, uh, have issues with him because of what he did, but he paid his debt to society. He repented. He's continually tried to make up for the mistakes. He acknowledged them. And, uh, he's a good man. Mike fix. He's a good man. I, I know this. My kids always loved being around Mike Vick, and this is when they were young. And I always used to say that I would let Mike babysit my kids back in those days. And uh, you know, I haven't changed in terms of that. But boy, was he fun to—he was so fun to watch, man. And now I had to play against him too. He was not fun to play against. He was fun to have on your team.
0: Not—not fun to scheme up against. Do you think his supreme? Oh my God. Do you think his supreme athleticism, in a way, kind of was a detriment to him at least early in his career because he was just so physically gifted that maybe he didn't put in the time learning the plays, the mental aspect of being a quarterback in the National Football League. He didn't need to be as dedicated to that, and and maybe he he short sighted himself there.
3: I think that there's there's something to be said about that. I think that he's not the only one that that's happened to. Uh, playing quarterback in the NFL is very, very unique. The, the level of commitment that you have to have to your craft 12 months out of the year is really unique. Um, you know, you have to understand what all other 21 players on the field are doing, not just the other 10 on your side, but the 11 on the other side of the ball, you have to do a tremendous amount of, of off season work to get yourself mentally and physically prepared. You have to watch hours and hours worth of film, you have to ask questions. You have to spend extra time in meetings. It's uh, you know, there are some positions where you can go to work at the start of the day. You can put the work in, you can go home and, you know, turn on the TV and, and decompress and get will still be ready to play on Sunday. Quarterback in the NFL is not that you have to be supremely dedicated to it. And when you're a man like Mike, who has this God given ability to make plays in the open field with his legs. You know, there may have been, and you know, I've let Mike speak for himself on this. Before, so there may have been times when he said, you know, what? Uh, I'm okay, I've got enough, and if I get in trouble, I can, I can just take off and go, and they won't be able to catch me. You know, and I think though that as he went through his career, then he learned uh, how to study. He learned the importance of values of studying. Uh, maybe his skill set declined a little bit in terms of his physical ability that he did increase his his um, attempts to to really understand the game, you know, and I think that he did a really nice job in Philadelphia of of accelerating as a as an intellectual player rather than just an intellectual athletic player.
1: And now looking you know ten to twenty years in the past, he's turned into almost like someone who's gonna be remembered as the person who brought the NFL forward. He's the godfather for Lamar Jackson, for these mobile quarterbacks, who he, he essentially was the guy Randall Cunningham before him, you can find data points along the history of the NFL lineage. But as far as the guy who will be remembered because this crop of current quarterbacks credits him as the guy who paved the way. So yeah, it was super fun to watch. Yeah. I, I was a Virginia tech grad. Uh, so coming out of college, getting to watch him play uh, in the pros with you. And that Falcons team was, was exciting because I remember in the moment, There were a lot of people who were like, "He can't do it at the NFL. He's not fast enough to be that, be like that at the NFL. He's got to be able to throw." And as someone who watched him in person, whatever you say about his athletic ability, I've never seen someone throw a football harder or further than him. So uh, he he had all of it, you know. Yeah, and he had a
3: quick release. And you know what? Here's the misnomer: is that um, unfortunately in our society, there's some built-in stereotypes and assumptions. And sometimes the assumption is that a mobile quarterback can't throw. Well, you know, I think that Mike was, was a guy that played quarterback and had the ability to run, not a running quarterback. I think that, you know, like we look at Lamar, oh, he's a running quarterback. I would, I would dispute that. I would say, no, if he's a quarterback. He can play the quarterback position, but he can run. And uh, to me, there's a real distinction there. You know, Lamar Jackson can drop back. He can read a defense. He can understand where to throw it. He can throw it on time and with accuracy. But he can also make tremendous plays with his legs. Mike Vick could drop back. He could look around. He could digest the defense. And as he got better, and as he went through the, you know, his career, he got better at that. And he could make the throws he made to make. But he could also get out of there. Now, there's some quarterbacks that are strictly more mobile quarterbacks. They're guys that can, they can, they can run in our average throwers. You know, Mike was a quarterback that can run Mahomes is a quarterback that can run, you know, uh, we already said Lamar, he can play quarterback, but he's got the added element of running. So to me, it's just kind of twisting that whole, um, philosophy on its head or that whole, uh, you know, this notion that we have that a running quarterback, isn't a thrower. Yeah, I mean, Does that makes sense at all. Uh,
0: no, totally. And if you think Michael uh Vick isn't a thrower, just cue up that Monday Night Football game against the Redskins uh, where he's playing yeah. for the Eagles. I mean, that ball to Deshaun Jackson, <laughs> that's one of the greatest throws I've ever seen a quarterback make. Obviously, I'm completely biased because I am an Eagles fan. <laughs> and uh I I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, talk a little bit about the 2004 NFC Championship game. Do you think
3: Oh god, that was a tough one. <laughs>
0: Sorry, sorry to bring up old wounds, but do you think as a as a dome team inherently in the playoffs going outdoors, is there is there is that a big disadvantage? I know everyone likes to throw that in, or even when handicapping games and go, oh, dome team outdoors. Do you think there's actually something to that?
3: If there is, there shouldn't be. At that level, at the NFL level, where these are paid professionals and they're there are men that have come from every environment that you can think of hot weather, cold weather, you know, I mean, there should be enough mental toughness and discipline to be able to handle that environment, whether you're a dome team or you're not a dome team. That's what I believe. I don't think you can ever use that excuse and we never use that excuse in that game. I mean, it was frigid day I mean, it was really cold. Um, but that wasn't why the Philadelphia Eagles won that game. They won that game because you know, they played better than us. They coached better than us. Um, I felt going in at halftime that we were right there with them. I thought that, you know, if we could come out in the second half and put something together quickly that, you know, we could really make it close. And we weren't able to, I think we came out we threw an interception, they scored and it just kind of from there, we were just really in catch-up mode. Um, to be quite frank with you, I have never gone and watched the game film nor a replay of that game. Never in my life. Since so it's been what, 16 years? I've never seen that game again. So the only thing I say is just kind of from memory of standing on the sidelines. I can't I still I think I have PTSD from that game because I can't turn it on and Well, watch it.
0: You you and LJ Crumpler, uh, cause that hit he took from Brian Dawkins, that is uh that's almost yeah. from another era of football where they kind of let that go.
3: Doc was awesome, man. I loved him. I coached him in the Pro Bowl.
1: What a man! What a complete and just a class act. And I'm sure Coach would be excited to hear this too. But I used his Atlanta Falcons team to to fuel my number two ranking on Xbox Live (laughs) in Madden that year. So everything is coming full circle for me. Man. Oh man, Crumpler was so dynamic.
0: There was a, uh, a viral video. I don't know if you saw this of uh, Adam Gase doing uh, some smelling salts on the sideline of a game. And I I looked it up on the internet and uh, I think there's a clip of you Monday night football uh, doing a little uh, smelling salt before a game or, or during a game. We did them in studio. I mean, it's, it's quite a rush. Are you doing it just to kind of get pumped up? Is there, is there a mental thing? Is it just kind of like the players are doing it? You want to be one of the guys like what, what's the mindset there?
3: It's really funny. It started when I was with the San Francisco 49ers, and in the locker room, the guys would, you know, they do the smelling salts. They they put a bunch of smelling salts in like a Gatorade bottle, and then just spray it in someone's nose, a hit of it. Um, and you know, guys would just walk up and do it to each other, and I'd do it. And then, you know, before a game, it was for me more ritualistic than anything. You know, I I'd, I'd snap it, and I'd always have one in my pocket for uh halftime and one right before the game. And I pop it and I take a hit and there'd be a couple of players would come up and, you know, they'd take a hit off it. It's just ammonia. And it was more of like a, a pregame ritual to get your mind exactly where you want it to be than anything else. You know, I mean, it has no lasting effect unless you're coming off of, you know, taking a pretty subsequent hit, which I don't even know if they use it anymore at all. But uh, yeah, I got caught on TV using, I think John Madden <laughs> made, uh, made, you know, a little bit of hay out of it. But uh, we all have these rituals, you know, like I know this, when I stopped using the smelling salts, cause you're not going to do that in college. It was like, okay, I need to find this player at this yard with 30 seconds left, you know, before kickoff. And we have to do a special handshake. And you have about four or five of those. And if you didn't do it, you know, you're like, Oh my God, we're in trouble. It's like that, that NFC game, the 2004 NFC championship game, I always talk to the team right before we leave the locker room at halftime and just give them some final thoughts. And the officials came in the locker room and I couldn't get to them in time. And they started to bring the team on the field. And I never got to talk to the team before the start of the second half. And for 16 years, I've gone, Oh my God, that's Ah. why we lost. I didn't get to talk to the players before we went out, which is, you know, it's ludicrous, but it's, it, Well, it we sense to me.
1: we completely so understand because the power of belief, Coach. We <laughs> we understand.
0: Yeah, and as a, as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, I, I'm obsessed with juju and the right. <laughs> you know, my life is a, a a scene out of Silver Linings Playbook. So I totally get it. Where <laughs> you have these rituals, you yeah. got to have the remotes in the right spot, and if anything gets yep. you know messed up, you're blaming yourself. You know, I could have done more.
3: I used to have a deal where uh, if I wore a suit to a game. And we lost that game, like the suit tie combination, I could never wear it again. Game. <laughs> I, get, know, it. I get it. I get it.
0: Well, they they make fun of me sometimes because I'm the same way with the jersey. If the team's down, I have backup jerseys that I have to swap out and then hopefully smooth things out. <laughs> well that over. make
1: that begs the question. Do you have a backup tie? Have you ever made the switch at halftime?
3: <laughs> My first year at UCLA I had a pair of socks that I wore for every game. And uh one week we forgot him, and we played at the Rose Bowl. And one of the uh, assistant equipment managers knew how you know what a nutcase I was about the pair of socks. And before the game, he drove all the way back to campus just to get this. And they were little footies to get these little footies so I could wear them.
0: Oh man! And if
1: you if, you're, if you live in L.A., you know yeah, driving a from the Rose move. Bowl to yeah. the West Side is a <laughs> that's a hike.
0: It's gonna be an hour and a half with traffic. Uh, talking about yeah. your days at at UCLA and, and the pros. You're you're a rare breed when it comes to defense. You've coached both the three-four and the four-three. A lot of times coaches are pretty stubborn and just lock into one system for their entire life. Uh kind of just walk us through the the decision to go with either the three-four or the four-three and why you were open to change.
3: Well, I think what um what most coaches can tell you is that they've been exposed to both and they probably have an expertise in one or the other. But I think one of the most important things you can do is fit your scheme to your personnel. The job of the coach is to accentuate the talents of his players and put them in a position to have success. And so asking someone to do something that they're you know, not physically capable of doing is not good coaching. So, you know, when I came to UCLA, we were a three, four team and we had Anthony Barr. Um, on the outside. And we had Eric Kendricks and, and uh, Jordan Zumwalt on the inside and Damian Holmes on the other side, opposite Anthony. And the key was, you know, to get Anthony Barr when we could in a position to uh, be blocked by a running back. Cause we felt that was a mismatch or get him working in space and pass coverage or covering a tight end because those are the things he did well. He had that length. And Eric Kendricks was a sideline to sideline inside linebacker. But as our, as the profiles of our players changed a little bit, we became more of a four, three team that used some three, four principles. So, you know, I think if you watch a lot of NFL teams, you're going to see some three, four and some four, three principles sprinkled throughout their scheme. Uh, When you watch the Patriots, you know, you're going to see a good bit of both depending upon who they're playing. The, the key to having success, I think is being able to match your scheme to your personnel initially. And then maybe in the, in the draft, your, your scheme to, or I'm sorry, your personnel to your scheme, but in college, you have to have some flexibility because, you know, you, you recruit these players and their bodies change. You know, they, that you start recruiting a kid when he's 15, 16, the time he's 18, he might've grown four inches and in arms are longer. And he's, you know he's a different player than he was. You envisioned him being in high school.
0: Well, you, you you talk about college and and personnel there. You actually walked on as a defensive back at Washington, and and that was when they had a really good program. Made it to two Rose Bowls. Did you did you have some sort of affinity? Did you have a special spot for fellow walk-ons? Did you kind of keep an eye on them? What was your What was your Absolutely. take on?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I valued them. I, I really valued them. You know, as you said, so I, I was a pretty good high school player who got hurt my senior year. And, um, some of my scholarship offers dried up Washington never really offered me, but they gave me, you know, I, I actually earned a scholarship my freshman the spring of my freshman year. Um, but you know, being a walk on is not easy. Um, you know, every coach will tell you, we treat everyone the same and everyone's going to get an opportunity. But I just don't think that's necessarily the truth. I think that as a walk on, you have to prove yourself, uh, for a longer period of time at a deeper level than you do. If you're a scholarship guy, you just don't get as many opportunities. You come off the field. Your locker room sometimes is different. Your equipment, not as new, or, you know, they don't always know your name. Uh, you're not paid as much attention in meetings and that's unfortunate. And to me, Having gone through that, it was just important that walk-ons in our program, as long as they showed the commitment to the program that was expected of everybody, should be treated like everybody else, should be given opportunities. You know I couldn't wait for those chances to give walk-ons scholarships. We ended up with you know more scholarships available than we thought we would. There was nothing more fun than awarding a scholarship to a walk-on who had who had earned it who had who deserved it it was it was uh, it was very rewarding and you know, I knew how they felt. So uh, that's how I treated them.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Coach we talked, we talked, we brought up the, the, the 2004 uh, NFC Championship, which was a bad thing. What about let's go good on you here, Texas A&M Rose bowl with Josh Rosen. One of the best comebacks, one of the best college football games I can ever recall watching Uh, walk me through that experience and, and how awesome that was to be on the sideline and be a part of that team coming back from that big deficit to grab that win.
3: <laughs> it's so funny. Um, you, you know, so so when we have so the, when ESPN was showing all those broadcasts uh you know, when the, at the start of this quarantine, two weeks in a row they showed games I coached in. They showed the Texas and game and then they showed the Monday Night Football Falcons Saints game reopening of the dome which I was the head coach of the Falcons for. So I I actually watched a little bit of both of those and relived them. I don't really go back and watch a lot of games I played in, but that AM game was a wild one. And I can tell you that running off the field at halftime, I was just, I was dumbfounded by what was happening. I just, I didn't see that coming at all. Um, maybe we were tight. I don't know what it was. I don't know, but I know in the second half we relaxed um, Josh Rosen took over our receivers started making tremendous uh, plays down the field, our backs started, you know, breaking tackles and making yards, our offensive line gelled a little bit. And, you know, sometimes when you, when you capture, when you're way ahead, like A and M was, there's a natural little letdown. And when the other team can capitalize on that letdown and, and grab momentum, it is really difficult. If you're like an A and M to get it going again, you know, you've kind of shut it down emotionally And then you're supposed to pick it back up against the team. That's all of a sudden got great momentum and it's hard to do. I had another situation like that in the NFL in a playoff game versus the New York giants. I don't even remember when, when, uh, Trey Junkin rolled that, that, uh, snap back and they missed a field goal in candlestick. And so we advanced, but we were down at half. I think, I don't know. We might've been down 28 to seven or 35 to seven. Well, you're down 28 to seven in an NFL game. The chance of you coming back are almost you nil, know, and especially in a playoff game, we came back and we won it. And it was just like, how did we do that? How do we get the momentum? You know, And it was Jeff Garcia just making great plays, Coach, TO making great plays. I still have night as,
1: as a Giants. I still have nightmares of that of that occasion. Uh, momentum is very real. Like that. By the yep. time the fourth quarter was starting, I was very very certain we were the Giants were losing that game.
3: You know, I'm looking at a picture of me walking off the field after that game right now. So, and I can see the scoreboard. So at the end of the first quarter, it was seven, seven at the end of the second quarter, it was uh, 28 to 14 at half. And then you guys scored 10 more. So it was 38 to 14. And then we came back and scored 25 straight and won 39, 38. It was third and five with 23 seconds left on the 23 yard third and 5 with 4 seconds left on the 23 yard line when uh when that play happened. Yeah, that uh, was that's hey, you know, bananas, yeah.
0: <laughs> now your your dad was awesome. also a uh, a legendary coach. You you got coaching in your in your veins. After a game like that or any sort of big game does your does your dad send you a text? Does he give you a call and maybe either congratulate you, give you some pointers, kind of you know, give you a yeah. little uh backseat driving on your coaching at all?
3: We always had a routine that uh, after a game, win or lose, he was pretty gentle with me. You know, he was uh, supportive. You know, if we won, great game. If we lost, hey, tough loss. I know you guys played hard, hang in there. But, but, and this is a but, he always had access to my game film, no matter when I was coaching, <laughs> where I was coaching. And so, invariably, the next two days, he would spend study in the game. And then usually on a Tuesday or Wednesday, I'd get the, co- the phone call where we were going <laughs> to recap what he saw in the game. And most of the times it was positive stuff But I, there were some, there were some times, man, where he was tough on me. You know, you, Hey, listen, you, you talk about guys hustling to the ball and tackling. I see guys loafing. I see guys not wrapping up, <laughs> Lolly gagging. <laughs> you know, and, and, and why didn't you play this guy more? And you know, what were you thinking here? And, and being, uh, Really, I appreciated it because I knew it was coming from a, a a really good place, but it wasn't always easy to hear, you know. Um, and he was usually right, you know. He's usually right. He, he's he's had a lot of wins, watched a lot of football. I think he's won 185 games as an as a pro head coach, and actually just turned 85 on uh, Sunday, so yeah. that's celebrate. Well, happy it birthday!
2: Ha- Please send our happy birthday to him. Happy belated. Now your
0: your dad also uh, had, had some legendary uh, press conferences. Everyone's seen the the viral video of him going playoffs. Do you ever, do you ever find yourself quoting your dad or, or doing the impression to your
3: dad? Not too much. You know, I'll tell you something interesting about that, that day. um, And people don't really know this is that we, I was a defensive coordinator for the 49ers. We went into Indy and we beat them that day. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. You know, oh we man! Picked off. Uh, yeah, we picked off. I think we picked up Peyton three times and ran one or two back for touchdowns. We had a couple fumble recovery. We played great on defense. We played great on offense, and we beat him. And I could tell when I shook his hand, kind of midfield, going off the the field, that you know something was he, he was going to pop a little bit. You know, um, he was an emotional guy. He wore his emotions on his sleeve. He was very honest. Um, and so when that happened, you know, I didn't really hear about it until we were on the bus headed to the airport, but that was really weird for me because I know what the game means to our family. Uh, it's been our family's lifeblood since the day I was born. And it's the only way we've ever, you know, been able to support ourselves is through football. And I know what it was like for my dad when he'd lose a game. And so then to be kind of, you know, the guy that beat him, Uh, And then have see him have you know that reaction afterwards. It was kind of tough. Yeah. But I will tell you this, as a little bit of a, uh, we played professionally three times, and I'm two and one. So (laughs) I got that going.
0: I would I would definitely bring (laughs) that up to my old man. Uh, Before we let you go, uh, Jim, I know you. uh, Can you explain to people the work you do with the uh, Count on Me Foundation?
3: Well, my my family's always been um, pretty philanthropically oriented and the County Foundation was started in 2004 to help chief children um, in need and at risk. Um, and it operates in still in Georgia, uh, still in the state of Washington, still in the state of California. What's really been fun for me is to see my kids um, kind of adopt a philanthropic attitude. My oldest son is 25 when this uh you know the the COVID 19 kind of started to really to to inflame was able to raise, I think, $150,000 with his friends through a fundraising effort and bring um, the N95 masks to medical workers in LA. My daughter, uh, every Tuesday, I'm sorry, every Saturday and Sunday, for the last two months or so, has spent the day delivering food to healthcare workers. And then my my 21 year old son started a, actually a, a clothing brand, The Surfer, and all proceeds have gone. To people in inner city, uh, you know, I'll call him, I called him Friday night and say, what are you doing? Pal? He goes, "Well, I'm just out. I'm delivering food. And like, what do you mean you're delivering food? He goes, well, every Friday lately, I've been, uh, going to the grocery store for elderly people that can't go out and shopping for them and taking their food. And I'm like, Oh my God. So, you know, I, I think that, uh, it's just really more than anything than an opportunity to give back to people and also teach our kids the value of, of serving. So happy about
0: it. Well, that's awesome, Jim. Yeah, awesome stuff, man. and and appreciate you calling in and and uh, giving us your time. Great to cu- talk a little football here. Make sure you give Jim a follow on Twitter, Jim underscore mora f b and make sure you check out all his work with uh, ESPN. Thanks again, Jim. Hey, I
3: really enjoyed it. You guys have a wonderful day,
0: okay? Awesome time talking to Jim Mora Jr. Love that little uh, smelling salt nugget. That was great. Him talking about all the rituals as a, uh, as an NFL coach, it's good to know they have the, the same rituals. You know what my ritual is starting my own business over at slash SGP. That's right. You can create your own online sports book. I know what you're saying, Sean. I don't know anything about starting my own online sportsbook. Don't worry. All you need to know is the Sports Gambling Podcast because we have a hookup over at AcePerHead.com/sgp. They'll get you set up, live betting, and amazing. Uh, it's an amazing mobile experience. Pretty easy to get going. Real turnkey operation. Plus, if you use our link, AcePerHead.com/sgp. Get up to uh six weeks free. That's a heck of a deal. And, and perfect time to get your sports book going as sports are coming back and they're right around the corner. Before we get into uh offensive and defensive rookie of the year. Got to talk about Cushy Dreams CBD. That's right. The new smokable CBD. Get you those awesome uh, CBD rich hemp flower or the CBD. Pre-roll joints, and these are these are legit pre-rolls, highly smokable tastes like marijuana, feels like marijuana, tastes, uh, tastes great though. But it's it's doesn't get you high like traditional marijuana because it's it's that CBD relief. I enjoy the uh creative pre-roll, Kramer. What do you like over at peace, uh, baby?
1: You're a peace guy. Peace and love. Peace and peace love. Peace and
0: love. CBD content up to uh twenty percent. That's kind of I mean. Want to talk about sim gods? These are CBD gods. All you got to do is head over to cushydreams.com. Use that promo code SGP. That's K U S H Y dreams.com. Promo code S G P. Get 15% off. Smoke your CBD because you can. Awesome, uh, awesome interview. Like I said, uh, just just a second ago, Jim Moore Jr., that was a lot of fun. And, uh, the NFL it's happening. The NFL is going to happen in the fall. Knock on wood. I still feel like we can don't want to jinx it, but I, I think it would be awesome to just, even though a few months away already, already uh, getting some of these season long prop bets in. And of course, Colby Colby knows the, the college world. So I thought it'd be fun to take a crack at some of the early ones talking offensive and defensive rookie of the years Kramer offensive rookie of the year. Who you lean in. And wait, why.
1: wait a second. You're going to make me go first. Yeah. God damn it. Sean. All right. Well, I mean, I I've been on this for, for a while now. I, I do think Tua could be something special and this Miami team showed enough last year and showed me enough in Madden mayhem <laughs> to think that with this division, with that roster, with more importantly, that coach And with a quarterback who I believe has the highest ceiling of this year's crop, I I think if you're, if you're looking at who wins rookie of the years, who is it running backs and quarterbacks,
0: and even running backs, you have to have a really good year because Josh Jacobs had a really good year. Miles Sanders had a really good year. And yet Kyler Murray still got the, uh, the hardware there because he's a quarterback and Kyler Murray had a good year, but it wasn't no one's ever going to look back and remember Kyler Murray's yeah. legendary rookie year, even though and and maybe people are are going to give me shit about this. Even though I'm not huge on Tua long term as a quarterback, I'm also taking Tua plus nine hundred, and I'm on the same page as Kramer. I like the system in Miami. I like the fact that everyone's playing for Flores. I think they've done a good job of restocking that roster. And we've seen it so many times, even with Kyler Murray, a, a rookie quarterback who can run around. We talked about it with Michael Vick, a rookie quarterback who can run around. They can, they can win some games. They shouldn't, right? Cause they don't have tape on them. They, they make some plays with their legs. They end up winning a couple of games that they probably shouldn't. And you're in an AFC East. No Tom Brady. If the dolphins win the division. Uh, Tua is going to get rookie of the year, or even if the Dolphins get into the playoffs. So, uh, that's not gonna happen.
1: Well, wait a second. Wait, wait a second, real quick. Get here. Sean, who do you, who do you got hold winning on, the AFC? Hold on, now, Colby. Colby. I got the Patriots. Okay. Oh, look at you. You got it, you got so excited to hear me say Tua, uh, the same guy that you picked, Sean, that you didn't even let me finish my point. What I was gonna say is that's the guy I would take with the conventional wisdom. But my play for offensive rookie of the year is based on something that I know know to be true. Carson Wentz is not a franchise quarterback. Uh, uh, Dude, I was about to say you've got to sprinkle some on that, right? Carson Wentz goes down in the first quarter of the season. Jalen Hurts comes in, Eagles to the playoffs. Win the division. Giants still get in with the wild card. Don't (laughs) worry. (laughs) Well, Jalen hurts. Jalen hurts wins. The division Dude, pulls home the hardware. That,
2: that was one of my, my 70 yeah. to one.
1: Yeah. I well, love. All it. right. So first of all, again, criteria quarterbacks, right? Carson Wentz has gotten hurt before the infrastructure is there everywhere else with the, the Eagles for him to be successful. So it, I think it, you would be doing yourself a disservice. The real money maniacs out there who are, by the way, growing every day <laughs> would, be doing, would be doing themselves a disservice if they did not as Colby. So eloquently put it sprinkled a little on the 70 uh, to one because yeah. they are sitting flush after that historic, Plus twenty and a half unit day in Madden, mayhem.
0: Kramer is just so on uh, on board in full tout mode. He even updated his uh, Twitter bio to reflect his now tout status. That's the, when you've known you've gone full town. We by, need a town intervention called by the way. I nailed
1: that so badly. I'm going to pull that as a clip Dude, immediately. Well after and, the show.
0: and also you're down five units to me. Ooh, you don't ooh. think you would go out of your way to, to I to want your clients John, to know, no, hold on, hold on. I was going to
1: ask your permission before I put the, our personal debts out there, but I was, I thought my the next line would be down five units to at Sean T green.
0: All right, as long as, long as the I, clients know your personal debt. So you're, you're saying Jalen Hurts at seventy-one. That's your long shot. Tua, your safer bet at nine to one. I'm saying, why up. wouldn't yeah.
1: you sprinkle? Uh, uh, again, what position's gonna this year, especially? Is there a receiver that stands out to you that what? is going to a situation where they could go bonkers? Uh, Pro- Lavisca shut up because of Minchumania.
0: All right, Kobe. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> throw, out, throw out your crazy ass picks. What uh, do you got here well, for I mean, I'll tell for, you for,
2: for, for, from the start. The one that I it, I like JK Dobbins and I like him in Baltimore. I think that offense is already, as you saw last year, it's running smoothly. Um, and, and I think he comes to a great spot where he can get, he can get a lot of carries and, and yeah. I split plus time. 2200. Yeah. I think the Dobbins play was the one that really stood out to me. And then I, I think you got to sprinkle someone hurts because if, if, if Wentz goes down, I think he is very capable. He's played in two offenses two of what scares me. He's only played in that offense. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, sure, back in we talked with June Jones back in high school, he played in a more, I guess, running a shoot offense. But um we'll see how it transitions to to go into Miami. It's gonna be a, I, I think Hertz has an advantage on him by learning a different offense and by from, from an educational standpoint.
0: Well, and and this guy, I think it's almost always a quarterback, but here's here's kind of my long shot. Justin and Herbert. Again, maybe I'm just doing this because we saw him. Ball out in mad mayhem and put up 31 <laughs> points and right. cover the plus 10 and a half against the Chiefs who had 41. Justin Herbert is a quarterback. There's a lot of talent still on that Chargers team. Not amazing certainly, but at plus 2800 if they can just make a little bit of noise in that AFC West. I don't I don't think they're going to win the division, but I mean, what were the yeah. The the Cardinals were what last year? 7 and 9. Like they weren't Yeah, they weren't and considering they didn't
2: block well for their quarterback. Um yeah, the I think that that's not not a, a bad at play. twenty
0: eight to one, a guy, what was he selected? Fifth overall? Yeah, yeah. Imagine yeah. getting the 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 fifth overall pick at twenty eight to one. That's that's good. Now, now certainly, there's a world where Tyrod starts, but who who knows what's going to happen, especially in the uh, AFC West. I could see them. Yeah, they were, uh, or I'm just looking up there. the Cardinals record. They were five, Chargers. Chargers. No, no, no. I was just uh, going to say Kyler Murray. He was the quarterback on a team that uh, went five yeah. ten and yeah. one if, if Herbert can come in, put up good numbers, he, they have decent receivers. They have Hunter Henry. Like I I think they're going to still be competitive. If they can get to seven or eight wins in the AFC West, I think Herbert at 28 to one is, is a good bet. I thought you were going to say the Gandy man, the Gandy man. Well, (laughs) if you're going receivers uh, again, which I'd probably advise against because you have to have an insane year to win it as a receiver. Michael Pittman jr. At 40 to one is, just, up, crazy. just
1: updated my profile. Okay, it now says down five units to at Sean T Green hashtag Sim
3: <laughs> That's a humorous deal.
0: And of course, hell <laughs> mummy, new favorite drop of mine. All right, let's uh, let's throw out some picks there for defensive rookie of the year. Kramer. Can I throw
1: one more offensive out one. Just yeah, like, sure. C- could you imagine a world where the Bills are really good this year and Singletary goes down? Right? Uh, yeah. He's a fragile yeah, back. Yeah. They're going to have a back that but puts up numbers this year. It could be Zach Moss. 50 to 1. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's not bad. Hootie he didn't he didn't get a lot of carries in Madden mayhem, so he's not high on my radar. I do think he a runs lot tougher of this on Madden mayhem.
2: I mean, look, I I like Singletary, but I do think he runs tougher than Singletary. If
0: yeah, and that uh, Singletary had a good year, but he isn't so locked in that yeah. Nothing can happen, and he can't be dethroned. They're going right. to give it to us as a hot hand.
1: I think Singletary gets hurt too. I think that's actually a decent a decent snag for your portfolio, Real Money Maniacs. What are you doing on the defensive side of the ball, Kramer? Ah, uh, defense is always kind of a crapshoot, right? Isn't it? I feel like of late we've seen the pattern of who won last year. Do so we have a list of the historic winners? Does either either I'll one pull of that you, up? because I, I feel like the way that you target this position is you look for the guy that's going to either make the splash because he makes shitloads of tackles, right? Yeah. Fresh middle linebacker for a shitty team. Yeah. Fresh around the box. It's, it's, it's
2: hardly going to be, you know, like Der- take Derek Brown who got drafted by the Panthers, who I think might actually be the best defensive player in this draft. Um, but
1: first thing you do is cross off the cornerbacks because cornerbacks yeah. struggle that
2: first, and, year. unless
0: they somehow have a lot of pick sixes or something. What's, yeah, the, what's yeah. the breakdown? So, so the, the past winners, I think you almost always have to go first round every once in a while, you get a Darius Leonard who won in 2018, but for the most part, it's, Position, it's guys though. in the first round. So Nick Bosa won it. in right, uh, 2019, a uh, Lattimore in, in 2017. Cornerback. So that was a cornerback. And then you got Joey Bosa pass rusher, Marcus Peters. And then we go, we go D line. Aaron, <laughs> Aaron that. Donald, Sheldon Richardson, pass rush, Keekly Von Miller, linebacker, Indama, and Sue. All right, Brian, so I'm Brian I'm, Cushing. Remember that guy? What I'm hearing
1: <laughs> is you you want to target the pass rusher. So you're Chase think, Young, you're the go, favorite you're gonna, you're at plus yeah. two hundred, that makes sense to me. I was prepared to throw Patrick Queen out there because mm. I think he profiles as the kind of guy that could immediately get thrown into a Darius Leonard type conversation because he has some nice support around him and he's on the Ravens for whatever reason, defensive players just look better on the Ravens in those purple and black,
2: but young, young, I mean that D line's So loaded, you think that he has an advantage of being on that? Even if, even if you want to say he's the weakest link on that D line, you you should be able to have success because I don't think they're going to try to double you right away.
1: No, no, definitely not. But you, you coming back to the points of what we just learned, right? What do we hear a lot of? Real disruptors up front, yeah. And I think the guy that I circled because he's twenty two to one is a guy that's going to be a centerpiece for Matt Rule's defense, and that's Derek Brown.
2: But they they didn't give many. I don't think he caught one defensive tackle. Which which Sue
1: Donald did did you Donald?
2: Okay, I
1: I, I didn't. Guys who can be uh, a disruptor, and I think Derek. One of the things we talked about during draft prepped was Derek Brown could be a disruptor. and it's not often
2: absolute stud and it's not often
1: you see those guys fall out of the top three. And this just was a weird year with the way the draft fell and he was able to fall to Matt rule. And I think if there's one thing you, you can say objectively about Matt rule is you, I I think everyone expects his defense going to be ready to play. Yeah. He drafted a lot of guys that he like basically formed the, 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 the spine of his defense. So I think at 22 to one, you can do a lot. Worse I like that play. I like that. Then taking Derek Brown there, uh, Sean, what are you doing?
0: Well, Derek Brown was on my list and I was going to give him I have a point. second guy. Uh, I'll let way. you, I'll let you uh, start out there. I'm going to go with uh, a guy, Willie Gay Jr. Chiefs drafted him. You're talking about a linebacker. I knew
1: Sean was going to go gay. <laughs>
0: Hey, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> Willie Gay, though, I, I like taking a guy from the SEC, and I think it'll be easy to stand out on the Chiefs. I mean, you saw some of the guys they had in those playoff games, like Sorensen and, and some of these guys that were pulling out tackles for them. If he's a day one starter, which at linebacker, it's realistic you could be a day one starter, you get a bunch of t- tackles, you make a couple of plays on special teams, and if the Kansas City Chiefs defense just gets a little bit better. I think people notice that and, and give Willie gay a lot of credit for it uh, at plus eight or no, he's plus 2000. I really like that. So yeah, give me Willie gay jr. Go. I go into that spags defense. I think he could get a couple of blitzes, a couple of sacks. Colby, what are you doing?
2: I'm liking, I mean, I, I, I think the Brown's not a bad option, but I will say I like Kenneth Murray going into the chargers. I think there's great value in that. The chargers already have a loaded defense. So I think, I mean, the only bad thing is, is he's probably not be going to be on national TV too much.
1: He could eat tackles though. L.A. Yeah. market, uh, it, that I do like that play. Uh, the other, the other guy I like, uh, and I'm sticking with this mold disruptor, and that's Kinlaw. Oh,
0: that was my other one. Yeah. yeah.
1: Out of South Carolina, you say a similar price point, eighteen to one. Uh, this guy, complete opposite scenario to Mr. Derek Brown, who's going to a brand new defense to be the centerpiece he is replacing the former centerpiece to a very, very good defense. There is going to be endless opportunities for him to show out. It's almost like the chase young thing. And you know, well, but the difference with chase young is I think when you're the first uh, chase young is in the situation of being the first defensive player taken and more of a target. You think, I think there's a more of a chance for him to be disappointing. Because the bar is higher, I think Kinlaw or Derek Brown are uh, enough. A little
0: under the radar, but enough uh, talent. Both SEC guys, so they went up against SEC linemen. What do what you What are you saying with it? Well, I mean SEC offensive <laughs> linemen. No, I, I oh, mean Colby, I know you hate the SEC, yeah. but like I don't hate them. They're, they're about, got Mike Leach in there. Their offensive lines are much better than the rest of the the college lines. They just are. I mean that's why I don't trust SEC skill players a lot of the times because they're they're playing behind these great offensive lines and it's, it's, it's yeah. easy to dominate. So if you're do if you're making noise as a defensive lineman, you definitely go up and, and Kinlaw, he's going to be playing next to Bosa. Like who's the, he's uh, going to be playing against guys who are going to get a lot answer, of doubles. Yeah. So
1: yeah. who's the, who is the guy that's going to surprise people? Uh, like who's the dark well, horse.
2: I'll say the one that I don't know what to expect is Jordan Brooks, the linebacker from Texas tech. I thought he, you know, he went really early. I thought he a lot did. earlier than, than a lot of people hadn't penciled in Is he
1: even on the board over at my bookie.
2: No, I don't see him. No. At. I mean, He's but not. he was still a first round draft pick. So you got to think that, that Carol must've saw something he liked. I know they don't have the best track record <laughs> after the Rashad penny pick. Um, but that one is the one that to me, like, I have no idea what to expect.
1: Here's what I would say. I think one of the reasons corners can get this, you know, now that I'm going to pivot and justify why corners showed up on the historical look back. In the right situation, you can be targeted a lot, and you have opportunity to make those splash picks. Well, yeah, they
0: usually they make.
1: Uh, you make the pick sixes, you get the interceptions. Yeah. You're probably still going to get burnt a lot, and you're probably going to still have a nice highlight reel of you getting toasted. But if I look at a defense that has the structure around him and has talented cornerbacks around him to take some of the pressure off, it's Jalen Johnson. In Chicago, he's got Kyle Fuller there. The take—I love
2: that pick, and he dropped, man. He was supposed to go in the first round. Fifty-five. Yeah. I
1: thought he was going to be a first rounder. I mocked him Me in the too. first round. He went in the second. He's going to have opportunities. Look, he's got Khalil Mack yeah. and those boys rushing for him. He's got Kyle Fuller on the other side to scare quarterbacks to him. If he can just get, m- he has got who? Kyle Fuller. No, he, Jalen Johnson. Is he not on the Bears?
2: Kyle. F- Oh, you're right. You're right, Kyle Fuller. Oh, okay, I thought you meant on, on the offensive side
1: of the ball. Okay. No, I'm saying okay. he's not the number one corner. He's not being asked to go out there and shut down number ones. And most likely, quarterback's going to be more likely to attack him because he's a rookie. He's going to have opportunities in that defense. Is the point? Yeah. So Jalen Johnson at fifty-five to one.
2: Well, he's spe- especially he goes up against Kirk Cousins twice a year. Again, these rookie of the year. <laughs> you like
1: that. These prop bets. I mean, offense. I think. You like that. I think we're seeing, you know, the favorite coming out more often than not, I would have to, I would have to imagine if we looked back on some of these, some of these props for the defense, we're seeing like definite, some obvious favorites winning there, but also like some, uh, some guys who maybe aren't the favorites. What and about sounds-
2: Jeff Gladney uh, with the Vikings going into a pretty good defense. Yeah. From TCU played with Gary Patterson, which always you know, for the defensive backs, I feel like that's always a good thing.
0: Here, here's a guy that's on the list, insane, long shot of the oh. guys that are like over 50 to one. He's the guy like Curtis Weaver. He's a sack machine out of Boise state going to that Miami defense. He's he's drafted in the fifth round, which means you're probably throwing money away, putting him in the mix for defensive rookie of the year. But the guy had 47 and a half sacks in college,
1: but here's why you're not. He that's one of those splash stats. If he yeah. as a rookie gets
0: nine sacks,
1: like a you probably just have to lead the rookie class. But if you if you have a splash year, like a la the Latimer year where he had a couple pick sixes, which I think is oh, why yeah. he probably won strip sacks. You, you get you get ten you get nine or ten sacks. You're probably rookie of the year, right?
2: Uh, Epinissa, AJ Epinissa with uh, the Bills. He dropped. Uh, it's a guy that had first round value. The Bills defense is pretty decent, so I, I could see that
0: working out. That's actually a guy that is listed on my bookie. He's 30 to 1. Yeah. And yeah, I, I like the Bills' defense 30 to 1. Yeah. Worth, it's a good worth defense. The, I think. And he,
1: he was a first round value. No talk of Xavier McKinney. Uh, you care to comment? Well, I mean, might t- not start barely going to be on
2: primetime <laughs> he might not start. i think they play what brady once but he I mean, will probably d- dissect him most teams uh, play a
1: similar defense to what bud bud foster originated down there in blacksburg <laughs> with the three safeties but there's a very real scenario where uh, julian love is starting over i i know they really want to get mckinney in there but he could not be the the non-starter like we saw in madden mayhem Sean,
0: yes Thank you for participating in the Sports Gambling Podcast. Awesome podcast. A great interview with Jim Moore Jr. We've been on a roll, a bunch of good interviews. Check out our boy Hal Mummy, Nick Rolovich, June Jones, all those on the Sports Gambling Podcast feed. And uh, give us a follow on Twitter at gambling podcast. We got some more sim casting that we'll be doing. Uh we're talking about maybe doing college. Or maybe just uh, plugging away, doing some more Madden games. But uh, hit us up if you want to see us call a particular thing. We're we're still in the efforts of uh, finalizing those plans. But again, if you were one of the winners of Madden Mayhem, send in your uh, claim prize, sports, podcast dot com slash Madden for the Sports Gambling Podcast. I'm Sean Stacking the Money Green, and he is Ryan.
1: See you tomorrow, Sean
0: Kramer. Let it ride.